This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself with other high-level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. This is our 19th podcast interview of 100 entrepreneurs that have built successful location independent businesses that generate over a million dollars in annual revenue. And today's guest is the founder of Insider Internet Success, Kavit Harya. Kavit started out as a musician and very intelligently learned that the majority of popular musicians were also master marketers. By understanding this, he applied it to his music career and his fame grew rapidly. Kavit then began applying this to his business, building a successful automated business business where he could step away for a year and travel the world while the business ran on its own. Today, he shares how he did this. Let's welcome Kavit to the show. Welcome Kavit to the podcast. How are you today? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in and joining us on the show today. We really appreciate your time. And we want to jump into things, getting to know you as the entrepreneur that you are. So if you could give us a bit of your backstory so we can learn how you became the entrepreneur and business coach consultant that you are today. Yeah, sure. I mean, I started uh, to play an instrument called the tabla when I was uh, probably six or seven. It's a North Indian instrument. And I've been learning it, I guess, ever since. And uh, I always wanted to play this Indian instrument, having grown up in London, listening to all kinds of music with Western music. So I wanted to fuse Eastern and Western music together. And the challenge I found was that uh, either people didn't know about the instrument or they didn't want to practice or play or perform uh, or even just, you know, get ready to perform uh, if I didn't have anything to offer them. So the way the music world works is that, you know, as an, as an independent musician, someone that's not signed to a label, if you don't have gigs if you don't have uh, CDs that you're recording, if you don't have like fixed opportunities where you're going to get paid, most people usually won't come up and, and take part of it just because there's no money at the end of it. And at the end of the day, some musicians, most musicians are working two, sometimes three jobs to just make ends meet. Um, so I struggled a lot, but there came a point when it started to work. And I had a music coach and he was guiding me on how to get gigs and he taught me one of the really most important lessons of the creative industry is that marketing is really important. And... Uh, something that I think that most creatives know that marketing needs to be done or the business needs to be looked after, but most of them hate doing it. And they hate doing it because it's just not what they set out to do in the first place. Like all these creatives, whether they're musicians, artists, painters, drawers, writers, uh, filmmakers, they just want to create the art. Right. That's really what they're there to do. And instead, they're having to work at marketing, having to get their work out there, having to build. And if they don't do that, their work's just never going to get out there. That's why sometimes, you know, you look online and you see some of the um, worst music becoming some of the best out there because <laughs> sometimes they're just really great marketers. Now, I'm not saying that you produce rubbish stuff and you do great marketing, but I'm just saying that you have to learn that. And that was something that I learned very early on. And... Um, using those skills, using those ideas, I managed to get some really popular gigs and marketed well and shared a lot of great value. Um, I managed to get gigs, I managed to record CDs, I managed to perform at really big venues like the Royal Albert Hall in London, for example, with someone called Jimmy Page, with some of the listeners might know. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, I had some great, great successes. But what really clicked for me was a lot of the music with, with regards to business, 
was that a lot of the musicians listening were wondering, how do I get more gigs? How do I sell more music? How do I get more exposure? Uh, and, you know, as a musician's dream, as I later figured out, was that if you did those three things, you would be able to quit your day job. So to cut the story shorter, I fell into business teaching people exactly, or coaching as it were, teaching people exactly how to do these three things. And um, I started to write an ebook, and then I started to create CD programs, DVD programs, coaching programs, mentoring programs, workshops, etc. And over five years, from 2005 to 2010, I was building this online business where I was just showing people how to do this thing uh, and using these skills, just stuff that I'd, I'd learned. Now, of course, I wasn't the best musician out there. I wasn't even the most popular or well-marketed musician, but I had a skill set and I knew that I could, I had advantages over other people and therefore some expertise over other people that I could sort of uh, try to look at what had really worked and show it to somebody else who wants to make it work and people were getting really great success stories out of it. So um, I quickly learned the value of marketing. I quickly learned the value of automating uh, sales funnels and email nurturing and also building great success stories and very quickly we developed within that five years a database of 120,000 musicians around the world and they were just buying these programs and courses and then in my life one of the really most important passions that I had was traveling and I really really wanted to go traveling and I come from an Asian background and if you know anything about Indian parents and uh, I'm very grateful for my parents and I think they've instilled in me a lot of confidence and a lot of uh, entrepreneurship um, in many ways, but you you're, you really are encouraged in the direction of study, 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 uh, finish your degree, go do a few other jobs, and then maybe work for you know a good few years before you really start to enjoy your life. Um, it's that whole you know linear path, and uh, um, I feel like the thing that really connected to me was traveling, and I've been fortunate to travel from a young young childhood, but at the same time. I really wanted to do a lot of backpacking. I really wanted to reach out to other areas of the world. And I really felt that traveling would encourage me to grow as a person. So I stopped doing what I was doing in the music business, or at least I took it. I took on a pause. And when I say I took on a pause, the business continued, continued to run, but I started to systemize. I started to think about ways that the business could run without me being there. And I was inspired by Derek Sivers, who you know started and sold CD Baby. And he said that, the true definition of an entrepreneur is somebody who can leave their business for a determined or, or a specific amount of time and come back and the business still produce the same revenue, the same result. And the interesting thing about that was it, he went ahead and did it. And he took 12 months out of his business, I think, to go away and travel and not connect with CD Baby. And the moment he came back from that, he looked at the, the revenue and the sales or whatever it was, and they were doing exactly the same or if not better than what they were before. And I thought, well, if Derek could do it, I could do it. So I decided in the music business to, to take a pause, bring in some team, automate, systemize, and go traveling. And I was very fortunate that that worked out very nicely for me, um, such that when I came back, I was so inspired at that point to uh, just delve in into the business because it wasn't really, I realized, and sometimes I find that your passions sometimes uh, first of all, they find you, you don't find them, but also they, they change over time. So music may have been my, my biggest passion at that point and I, the only thing that I really knew about, but what I really fell into as a love was the idea of developing sales funnels, sales journeys, customer journeys that I could take people on experiences online so that buying became a result of having a great journey as opposed to just being forced to buy. And so I was in, invited to speak at a lot of conferences in the UK 
and I was invited to do a lot of consulting on exactly how I was getting people to achieve these results and show them processes uh, of doing that. And I helped a lot of different companies set up online, online sales funnels, online businesses, and I tried to prove myself in that way to build some credibility around me before I then started to run my own workshops. And I ran workshops in the UK, in, the, in New York, and in Sydney, and I did, I did about 15 or 20 workshops where I would take people to through a process for due days to show them how they could systemize their business, how they could build a sales funnel to sell their product or service online. And it was phenomenal. And I was generating great value and great, great money, of course, and having a great life as a result of it. But what I found that wasn't fulfilling for me was that if I followed up with these people who came to a workshop and I overwhelmed them with a lot of information, they didn't get the results that they were looking for because they were so overwhelmed that they forgot to actually find out you know what they what they should have continued with or they lost they, they forgot the techniques or you know they forgot that they needed to be more consistent or they just couldn't learn the things they needed to because it was crammed into two days and so about four years ago I decided that what I'm really passionate about is finding a few people that I can help really well and take them deeply through the process because if I could do that with just a handful of people those people could go on to impact hundreds of thousands of people which then allows me to create a ripple effect of helping the world and so the automated business system which is what my flagship service is right now has been in effect for four years we take one person uh, for example uh, through a process for 12 months uh, really working on the strategy building out their business for them so they don't have to do the technical work and then coaching them on the marketing week after week so that they can be taking what they're doing taking what they love taking what they're good at to the world and serving the world a lot quicker a lot more effectively um, and it's been really the most fulfilling thing that I've ever done, perhaps the greatest thing I've done so far. And uh, I'm really proud of, of how people can apply themselves when they're in that one-to-one -one setting with a coach who's really dedicated to them and push them forward as, as opposed to being in a workshop and then left hanging, as it were. So I guess that's where I am, and that's like the journey, and it's, and it's so many different varied angles that I, I feel brings me to where I am today, not just one linear path. And that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. It's an incredible story. Can I ask you how old you are? I'm 30. That's a great experience for being young. So kudos to you, my friend, and way to go. So I have a, quite a few questions for you. And I want to start out, like, I think it was really interesting how you came up with the vision to merge marketing and your mu in the music industry and your music career together. So I'd like to ask you on some, because I love marketing too, I'd like to ask you, like, what are some of the tactics that you use to help you get more gigs and further your career? So are you, are you talking specifically like the music aspect or are you talking about like right now? No, no. Yeah, the music aspect. So, so what were you using during that time that would help you? What marketing tactics that would help you get more gigs and help you become more popular and famous? So I think there are a few things that are really important for a musician to consider. And these are the same things that I was doing back then. It's just that the platforms changed. So I was really, really good at MySpace. And uh, I had like the biggest account of drummers, as, as it were, on MySpace at the time, which allowed me to really network strongly with, with other musicians who may not have come across my instrument or the sound of it uh, at that time, or perhaps not even have even considered how they could use it in, in their work. So MySpace was really good, but what it speaks to is the value of building connections and forming relationships with people that really matter and people that will allow you to consider if, you know, the work that you can do together or if they can get you into, into gigs or if anything like that. The other thing is really being very strategic 
about how you target the people or the partnerships that you want to have. So um, when it comes to gigs, for example, I learned and I'm very proud of a strategy that I share now called the zone booking strategy. And the zone booking strategy says, can you get out a map and draw a grid on the map? And then can you label the, the grid A, B, C, D, E, F, G, etc.? And can you slowly start to target every section of the grid uh, based on the locations to look out for the venues that you want to perform at and reach out to them to start an, op an introduction, to start a conversation about how you can get there? But can you do it strategically so that if you perform a Thursday in zone A, uh, you're not performing a Friday in zone B or a Saturday in zone C, you're really moving A to Z and then back to C to N. You know, you're moving it around so that you're able to uh, capitalize on a specific region, uh, but and then have multiple gigs, but then you're you're scheduling it in a way that it's not conflicting with other venues at the same time. That's the first part of it, and then the second part of it is how do you uh, engage with them and how do you have those introdu introductions with them so that first they take you on perhaps as a free gig or as a test gig, but you secure a regular date because most venues don't really want to be sit, sitting there working out how to fill in every day in their calendar. They want to find somebody who's really good, and then they want someone smart enough, I think, to say, actually, we'll take one gig a month, or we'll take the third Friday of every month, or the second Thursday of every month, whatever it is. And so I was really good at finding strategic ways to say, you know, we want to do a, a regular gig here. And at some point, we got, you know, we got to the point where we had 11 or 12 regular gigs every month, which is really interesting and important, because it says that if you if you are consistent, the more consistent you can be, the better your reach is going to be. And this is the same principle that applies today. It's just, again, the platforms change or the, 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 the models change, but the idea is the same. That's genius. You know, I used to sell books door to door for one summer after college for an internship. And we would use that exact same strategy. We would create a zone, figure out a town that we needed to go market in and sell in, and then we would map out the area and the houses that we needed to go by, figure out which houses were the kids, and we would just go and implement and knock out the sales. So very, very smart on your part. So I'd like to ask you, Kavit, like when you got to the point, you built your business up and you wanted to start automating it, because I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs that will be listening that would love to learn your process of automating your business so you could take a year off. So when I first started to think about automation, because I wanted to leave the business or I wanted to take time off, uh, I didn't really think that there was, a, there was a specific way that it should be done. So I would just think about things that I could pass on to people and then just do that. But when I look at it now and when I focus on strategically trying to automate my business now, I first write down all the different departments that are in the in the business. I might be the one wearing the different hats or you know, an entrepreneur might be wearing the sales hat, the marketing hat, the delivery hat, uh, the fulfillment hat, the customer service hat, it doesn't really matter, but I would, I would write down the different departments and then I would write down the tasks that are being done in those different departments on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, a quarterly basis. Before you even can automate and systemize your business, there's a whole lot of planning that needs to be done, and this is what that planning is about. So when you make those lists of the daily tasks, the weekly tasks, the monthly tasks, the quarterly tasks, you then start to think about which parts of it are the bits that directly generate me business. So that's the first point. Which are the bits that are income-generating activities? Then you think about the, the opposite, which is which are the bits here are non-income generating activities. 
Then the next step of that process is which of the tasks that are income generating and non-income generating have to be done by me because they have to be done by me. And then the second part of it is which ones don't have to be done by me. And then you start to think about the types of roles that you might have in the business, the human roles, and then, of course, the technological roles that you might need to have in the business to take care of the rest of the stuff. You automate through two things. You automate through systems or technology, sorry, and you automate through humans. So every business needs to be automated with with system, technology, and then humans. So you find the right tools to look after your email, to look after your customer service desk, to look after your sales processes, to look after... Um, you know, client uh, journeys to look after delivery of the course, for example, and then you look at you. You find humans who can actually do the selling or do the the Facebook advertising campaigns or do uh, the customer fulfillment and the emails. There are all kinds of different roles. Um, so then let's look at those two different parts. You know that you need to have technology and and humans to market to automate your business, but which one do you begin with? And I would say that you first look at technology to hire. Uh, and cover the bigger parts of the business that that could easily save you 15, 20 hours if you're doing them manually. But then you look at the the people, and I would say in the team, the first person you always want to hire is the salesperson because no matter how much you want to automate your business, if you start dropping the sales, you start dropping the clients that are coming into the business, the customers that are coming into the business, and the revenue drops, which is really a cash 22 because if the revenue drops, you can't really go and hire other people to do with the other bits. So the first person I would always look to hire is a salesperson, somebody that can help me uh, take in all these leads that I'm bringing in and convert them into sales if it's a manual process. Um, and then the second person I would hire then is a marketing person or an operations person. Uh, those are the second and third people. It doesn't really matter which way you do them. But the operations person is the person that's managing the technology, managing the other people uh, to make sure that all the other things that need to happen on a daily basis in the business are being done so you can step away to think about bigger things or you can travel or you can look after personal other interests that you might have. Those would be the, the key areas. But I think there's one really interesting point to talk about when it comes to automation or systemizing your business. And that is the biggest challenge about automating and systemizing somebody's business is that they have to be mentally ready to do that. Right. Like they have to be mentally ready to, to give up their baby. So many people struggle. I myself have gone through the battle of wondering whether there's going to be somebody good enough to do the work for me that I would normally do uh, because it's very rare to find that. And if I consistently have that high expectation that I'm going to find someone to do it, I'm never going to be happy, never going to be satisfied. So many people I've hired and fired over the years, uh, freelancers, just because I've had to have that expectation. And until I've been okay with somebody producing 60, 70, 80% of what I would produce and not getting to that 100%, I've never been satisfied. And so I need to be okay with one, number one, someone who's replacing exactly what I do to be doing it at a lower quality, perhaps, so that we do more of it or I free myself to do other things. Or number two, the other approach and the approach that I've now come to accept is only hire people that are better than you um, in the very specific roles. Because I'm an entrepreneur, I can look at sales funnels, I can look at business models, and I can make decisions around that. But I used to do web design. Am I really good at it? Not that, not, not so much. I used to do copywriting. I could get by with it, but I'm probably not the best at it. I used to do social media. I'm probably not the best at it. I used to 
uh, create Facebook ads and run them on a daily basis because I learned how to do it because I needed to start that way, but I'm probably not the best at it. So what if I found people that were better than me and put them in place and allow them to lead and run so they don't have to be handheld because they're just really good at what it is that they do? Right. That makes sense. So I want to ask you, how long would you say it took from the moment you decided you wanted to take a year off of your business? How long do you think all the automated processes took to get ready and then you actually left? Six months, I think. Okay. And were you doing anything within the business while you were gone? So I would get a report. And again, reporting is probably the biggest thing that I've I've learned about because whether it's reporting or it's a weekly team meeting and again the whole dynamic of how you keep the team together is so is so interesting it fascinates me you know how you can learn some great ideas to keep the team together and then within a couple of weeks it either breaks or you need to innovate or you need to find some other way of gelling people or you know just firefighting problems and things like that but reporting was really important and I would get a dashboard spreadsheet that basically said, here's the number of sales we saw, we had, here's the refunds we had, here's the, here's the products that we sold, and you know, here's the, the income and the expenditure, um, and kind of a forecast of where we're going. And it would be those, those numbers, as well as queries that the team might have that would allow me to navigate the ship while I was away. And I would look at that probably on a weekly basis um, to make those decisions, just a few hours here and there on a weekly basis to, to write back with those decisions would allow the, the ship to keep going. Was there anything that you would have done differently through that process? Um, one thing I've learned recently is that, and uh, as an entrepreneur, the most important thing for me is my team. Like I'm very grateful to all the clients that come to work with us. I really am. Um, but I know that the people that I really want to take care of first are the people that are in my team. Because so if I can take care of them and they're better than me, the different areas of the work that we're doing, our, t- our clients are going to have phenomenal results. It's just, it just happens. So one thing that I didn't do back then was really just keep in touch with my team. Like I would do the email. I think I was immature. I think I was young. I think I didn't really know that much about team building. And um, I would have loved to have run a weekly call or take them away and celebrate, you know, once every few months and and do some kind of bonding with the team because the churn of, of, of team would have been would have been far fewer. Like right now, we've have people on the team that have been here for three years, just because it's been a great experience, hopefully for them. But also, I feel like it's been the biggest learning that I've had in the process of building a team. So yeah, that would be one really important thing. Did you have any crisis that came about while you were traveling? And if you did, how did you handle those? I don't really recall too many crises. I feel like one of the really important things that stop that is to is that I empowered the lady that was looking after customer service to make the decisions hmm. that would cost up to a hundred or two hundred dollars on her own uh, so she didn't have to ask me to to do every uh, through every refund she didn't have to ask me if the client was really upset and whether we we needed them to return the DVDs at that time in order for the refund or whether we could just refund it and let them have the product and that would cost us, of course, the product and the repackaging that we could have used to remake that product, as it were. Uh, she didn't, you know, if we had to send uh, gifts or condolences or anything like that, she could just make those decisions. So that really saved a lot of the crisis that I, I guess I would have to keep firefighting on a long on a long term basis or on a regular basis because of because of what she did there. That's very smart. When you went traveling, Kavit, where did you go? I went to Africa. So, I, I mean, I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, by the way. So I was six okay. months when I was born in London, and my parents took me over to Lagos, Nigeria, and I grew, grew up there for 11 years. Uh, and 
I came back to the UK. I went to um, school here. I went to university here. And I started to work here. And then as I got into traveling, I was always fascinated with Africa. And I traveled a lot of West Africa when I was a child, but I'd never been to South. I'd never been to North. I'd been to a little bit of East because my parents are born in Kenya. But apart from that, I'd never really traveled as much. So the first part of the tour that I did or the trip that I did was backpacking and overlanding through Africa. And I traveled for uh, eight different countries in about uh, two, three months and uh, camping. And it was phenomenal. One of the best experiences of my life. And then after that, I went to India. And again, my origin is Indian in the sense that my grandparents are from India, but my parents, my parents are born in Kenya and I'm born in London. So I'm a little confused where I'm from. But <laughs> apart from that, um, I'd never really been to India. I'd been once as a child, but never really been uh, to really explore or anything like that. So I took three months and I traveled all the way from north to the south um, to just explore India. And I have to say, one of my few favorite countries in the world, India, is right there because it is it is the country with absolutely everything. Every season you can think of, every work of life you can think of, every type of cuisine you can think of, every uh, way of life, every happiness and contentment and sadness and everything that you could ever think of in the world can be found in this one immense country. Wow. Uh, I haven't made it there yet, but it's definitely on the list. So I saw a quote that I think you had it on your website. You said the, uh, the biggest school of life is traveling. Can you tell us what you meant by that? I think it speaks to the same idea about uh, just everything being in, in India, but really everywhere in the world that I've gone, I've met different people. I've met different cultures. I've met different cuisines. I've met different, um, you know, things of importance or, or, or ideas of importance. An idea that might be really important in one part of Europe, for example, is is not really important or considered important in another part of of Africa, for example. Or a a, a person's uh, what makes somebody happy in Africa might not be the thing that makes somebody happy in Europe. And what makes somebody sad in Europe is something that might make somebody incredibly happy in 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 Asia. You know, so. I've learned of a lot about humans, I feel. I've learned a lot about um, communication styles, um, how you interact with people, what, what really counts, what doesn't count. I've learned a lot about um, the way of life, the emotional world, as it were, about how people deal with things. And I, that's what I mean by, you know, the, the, the traveling is a school for life and of how to live life and how to be a better person in life and how to be a, a giver in life and how to how to lead your life the best way, I think. I want to ask you one more question. What are some of the things that you feel entrepreneurs are really dropping the ball on today? Oh, I love this question. I think that, uh, I know that I've asked, not that, not, that, not that I've been asked it in this particular way, but, uh, you know, the thing, there are two, two things that's come to mind immediately without thinking about it. The first is there there's a reason and I serve the people that I serve are coaches, consultants, experts, you know, speakers, service providers. And the one thing that I find that they, they suffer from is not knowing how to position themselves and therefore having to, to price mediocre and therefore coach from nine to five. And when you coach from nine to five year upon year for three years in a row, you end up with a horrific statistic in the industry, which is something like 85% of people who are in that industry end up burning out. In a service, imagine in an industry where they're there to just serve people, imagine burning out. And the reason for that, I think, is a true failure to understand who you really want to serve. And so the, one of the biggest entrepreneurial failures that startups make or people that are starting out or people that are transitioning from employee to entrepreneur or people that are just having a go at it uh, is 
not being clear about who you really want to serve. And I think, unfortunately, too many people talk about it, so it sounds like a cliche. But what I'm talking about is, can you really get into their shoes? Can you really feel the empathy and understand what their pain is, what their desire is, what their dreams are, what their challenges are, what's really important to them? Because only if you understand these things, and if only if you hear it from their mouth, perhaps through surveys or through interviews, will you really connect deeply in your heart with it and when you connect with what it is that somebody needs to have to be to become to desire to feel to to like to love then you can write your marketing in the right way so that it turns visitors into prospects prospects into clients and clients into repeat business and referrals so that would that is the first thing i think that a lot of people suffer suffer from the second thing i think is the thing that people suffer from as entrepreneurs is not being willing to stay in it for the long term. So when I'm, when, what I mean by that is that if you go to a marketing coach and that marketing coach works with you and devises a marketing plan that says on a daily basis, you've got to post five Instagram pictures or videos. You've got to post to Facebook a couple of times. You've got to focus on your advertising campaign and it's got to reach this many people. And you've got to do a webinar once a week and you've got to run an event maybe once every two months. And you've got to do some paid partnership work and podcast interviews and stuff like that. You've got a very clear, detailed marketing plan that a lot of business owners crave. Like they want that level of detail. And there are people out there that can help you to identify and give you that level of detail. But when you get that detail and you drop the ball on not following through, not being consistent enough, doing it for one day and not doing it the next and doing three posts on Instagram today and two tomorrow and one the day after and five the day after that and not being consistent you see that your traffic has a massive impact based on how you're reacting. So the more consistent you are, the better your traffic is going to be to your business. And the less consistent you are, the wishy-washy the traffic is going to be, the, the inconsistent it's going to be, um, and uh, therefore the, the, your sales are going to be all over the place. It's, you're just not going to have regular growth towards the top of the game. And I think this is a big, big thing that is causing a lot of people to fail. I love it, my friend. Love it, love it. We're going to have to wrap up there. And I want to thank you so much, Kavit, for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your tips and tricks. I think it's really valuable for the listeners today. So thank you so much, my friend. Well, thanks for having me. And if the listeners want to reach out to you, where's the best place they could do that at? So my website is www.insiderinternetsuccess.com. And uh, the one thing that I'm really proud of is a lot of different success stories that we build over the years. So I invite people to go check it out. And the reason I share success stories is twofold. One, I think, of course, I'm going to generate business from it. So anyone that wants to work with us will have the opportunity to engage in a free 30-minute strategy session where we can talk about you know, their goals and, and see whether it's something that we can help them with. But more important than that is... The success stories and the inspiration that the success stories provide is that you can see other people like you from all parts of the world trying to build businesses and hopefully be inspired to do something similar or just see what's working for them. And so I definitely invite everyone to go check that out, insiderinternetsuccess.com. And of course, I'm on social media. So come find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. Incredible. Kavit, thank you once again so much for joining us. Listeners, we want to thank you guys for joining us once again. And we'll wrap up there and see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. 
The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for the attendees, and you'll get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, and co-working spaces. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, don't hesitate to contact us, theentrepreneurhouse.com. We will respond as soon as we can. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.